obedience. And we saw what it was to fulfill the law of God as, as we follow the king in various ways, avoiding anger, pursuing purity, upholding marriage, communicating truthfully, refraining from retaliation, and loving our enemies. All these extraordinary ways of living that can only come from knowing an extraordinary king. We learned about these different aspects, kingdom character, kingdom mission, kingdom obedience. And now in chapter 6, Jesus starts a new section where he is calling his followers to the proper spirituality of the kingdom, to perform our spiritual acts for the approval of God, not men. A different sort of spirituality that versus what might be out there. And the first spiritual act that he talks about is giving to the, the poor. So let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us again from this wonderful section of Scripture. Again, as we come to him, these aren't just ideas. This isn't just a book with words. These are the very words of God. And God himself dwells with his people. And so he wants to speak to us here today, uh, here at King of Grace Church. It's amazing to think of that. So let's go before him with that in mind and ask him to speak to us. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that when you ascended, you sent your spirit to your church. And now through the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, you dwell in our midst and in our hearts. Thank you, Holy Spirit for your presence here with us. And we ask you to work what is pleasing to you. We know your desire is to draw attention to the Son and and to communicate his words to us that he might receive glory and through him the Father might be lifted up. So we ask you to speak to us. Lord, you know each one who's here. You know where they've been. You know what's going on. You know where they're going to be going. You know what they need to hear. And you are fully able to speak to each and every one here. We thank you for that. And that's what we want, Lord. We want you to speak. We want you to be lifted up. We want our lives to be transformed as we encounter you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and your commitment to this. So help me, Lord. I am not equal to this in any way. Only you, by your Spirit, and because of your grace. We thank you and ask you to work and do these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 6, verses one to four. Jesus is speaking and he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might be praised by others, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Jesus is again teaching his disciples here in this section of Scripture, in the Sermon on the Mount. That's something to keep in mind here, that these, the crowd that he's talking to, it's not necessarily the Pharisees or the tax collectors, though there might have been some there. The crowd he's speaking to are his disciples, 
So this warning isn't something for the hypocrite that he speaks of in the passage necessarily. It's for us. It's for his disciples. It's for his followers. It's for those who who are part of the kingdom and following the king. This warning here today is not for those guys, and it's not for the other guys. Sometimes when we listen to these these sections of Scripture, we listen to Scripture, we, we have a perfect application in mind, don't we, for the other guy. This would be really good for my spouse to hear, or my son, or my dad, or my friend to hear. But this is for us. And this warning that he brings, this, this beware uh, word and, the, and what follows is for us. He wants us to hear from him and benefit from his warning and his instruction. So he says in this first part, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Now, it's interesting. We, I think we need to understand some things here. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, if, if you remember earlier on in Matthew 5, Jesus actually told us, he told us to let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So early on he says, let your light shine. Do your good deeds before others, that they might see and bring glory to the Father. And now he says, beware of practicing your, your, your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Is Jesus confused? <laughs> He's supposed to say no. <laughs> He's not confused. He's speaking of different things here. This next section of Scripture, the righteousness that he's speaking of, is really a particular type of righteousness. It's the righteousness, the deeds that we do as part of our worship of God, part of our spirituality, our piety, a word that's sometimes used. So these are kind of spiritual acts or religious acts of devotion to the Lord, of, of worship. So he's going to talk here about giving Alms to the poor, giving to the poor. We don't really use alms anymore, but alms were, that was a word that specified that it was money for the poor. So he's going to talk about giving to the poor here. And then later he's going to talk about prayer and fasting. These three, these three spiritual acts, these three acts of piety, these sort of righteous deeds. So when he says beware of practicing righteousness, he doesn't mean everything. We're to love others, we're to live outwardly. We're to, to bless others in the name of the Lord that they might be blessed and see the Lord and, and glorify the Lord. But there's a category of actions that are a little bit different. That if we're not careful, we can do those actions really to please men and not God. And that's what Jesus is talking about. These common actions. Now, I don't think in the sermon he's, he's looking to hit on every single one of these actions. So we can extend this idea to many things besides giving to the poor and prayer and fasting. There's a, there's a whole category of actions, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But he's warning us to beware of practicing your righteousness, practicing these acts of piety before other people in order to be seen by them. He has special concern for this area of kingdom life. He has a special concern for this area of kingdom life because I think he knows what we're like. He knows what we are like as his disciples in our humanity, in our weakness, in our sin. And he knows how easy it is for us to go from wonderful God-centered acts 
a piety that are really all about loving God and enjoying Him and blessing others. It's so easy for us to slide from those sort of actions, giving to the poor, being what he's addressing here, that's just giving freely because we love the Lord, we want to bless others. It's so easy for us to slide from that place into a place where we're looking for the praise of men, and that's our boast before others. He knows. He understands us. And, and we're all in this category. If you are here today, no matter where you might be on, in your journey, you're here because there's a spiritual interest. Whether you're a believer or someone investigating, you're here because there's a spiritual interest. And you are in danger, just like everybody else, of sliding from the place where there's a genuine interest in God, a pure interest, to the place where it's about looking good in front of others. Anyone here identify with that? Anyone here ever seen themselves do that sort of thing? Well, this is for us. I'll have some illustrations from my own life. This is a reality for us. We can slide from from the the place of pure devotion to a place of trying to to look good in front of others. I think a way to kind of ask, to evaluate yourself and and find out if that's the case is, is to look at the different actions that you perform whatever they might be, whether it's giving or prayer or church attendance on Sundays, worship, Bible reading, look at that action and then, and then notice that what your reaction is when others don't affirm you in that, when others don't notice and say something good, what happens? Or if you do those things and you get a negative reaction somehow, how do you react? I think if our reaction... At that point, it's like, oh, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. Then maybe our motive wasn't right. It was to please men. Or maybe if we get an exaggerated sense of joy and accomplishment in that particular act, that particular area of service or devotion, and there's an exaggerated sense of accomplishment. In other words, I feel really good when I preach and everybody enjoys it. I feel really good about myself. There's probably something wrong there when I have an exaggerated sense of accomplishment and joy. So whatever that might be for you, that probably is the area where the Lord wants to address you. Now, there's a a qualifier, and I'll probably mention this a few times as we go along. The cure for this, Jesus has a cure for for this sort of thing. The cure for it is not the following. It is not to stop encouraging others. To say, you know what, I don't want to tempt my, my friend to be spiritually pride, proud, uh, prideful or proud. I don't want to tempt them to live for my praise, so I'm not going to give them any encouragement. That's not, that's not the, the, the direction we want to go into. Scripture has a lot to say about encouragement. It has a lot to say about giving honor uh, where honors due, and, and recognizing the grace of God at work and, and, and reminding each other and loving each other. We're, we're not to stop encouraging. We're not to stop affirming. That's very clear in Scripture. We see it throughout. Uh, Romans 13 says uh, we are to give honor to whom honor is owed. Now, that, that has application in many fields. And I think one of it is recognizing the grace of God in each other's lives. So, the, the, so let's not get this wrong and think, you know what, we've got a cure, our own cure for this whole thing. We're, we're just not ever going to say anything nice to anybody about what they do. Then they don't have to worry about Living for the praise of men. No, that's not the answer. That's not what Jesus has in mind. Uh, 
there are a number of cures. The Lord, we're going to talk about how the, what the Lord says in this passage and how he calls us to it. I think ultimately the, the cure is when we receive praise for different things to deflect that praise ultimately to the Lord. When we receive encouragement for something, to, to ultimately say, Lord, it's you at work. It's your grace. And you guys may know the, uh, this, in Revelation chapter 4, there's the story of the, the 24 elders, or these, these elders, these leaders. It's not clear whether they're people or, or, or special angels, but it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So there's these, these great Elders, and they have crowns on their heads. They have these, these crowns of glory on their heads. And as God is in their midst, it's an amazing scene, the worship of God. Uh, and these, these seraphim are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then it says this, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him uh, who lives forever and ever, they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So the the response to praise is is not to stop praising, because it might tempt, it's to say, Lord, anything good that I do ultimately comes from you, and the glory goes to you. We are tempted this way, though. We will be tempted this way. At times, and, and it, it, as we serve the Lord in various capacities, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. For me, I, I, I am tempted by this at times. Um, I preach just about every Sunday. And there are times when I think I'm tempted to evaluate my job preaching by what people say. Now, to some degree, I need to do that, right? If, if everybody's like, that was a really bad message, I need to listen to that and learn from it. Uh, I don't just say, well, I don't care what you say. I, I preach for God. That's it. I don't listen to men. No, I want to listen and learn, and if people give me positive affirmation, that helps me know, okay, that, that seemed to work. But there's also, though, apart from that, there's this temptation sometimes to live by that. And, and there was a time in, in my life where God used some things to bring this to my attention. Uh, it was some years ago, we used to meet in Methuen, and we'd drive back after our worship time. I can remember, I can remember the scene. We were driving in our red van. We probably had the old trailer behind us. We used to have to haul all our stuff every Sunday on, in this trailer. And I was driving back with my wife, and God used her to point out that I was living not for the, the, the praise of God, but there was the praise of men and other things going on in my life. Because as I drove back, I, I was just kind of basking, basking in, the, in the, the glory of my sermon that I had just given. <laughs> and, and, and all, the, all the, the praise of the heavenly hosts of our, of our church that were sounding Sounding my praises for this sermon. And, uh, and we're driving home, and I was just kind of, I guess I'm in this state of, of worship of myself. And, and, uh, and Peg started asking me, like, you know, what are we going to be doing for lunch today and stuff? And I, and, and I wouldn't have realized it. And actually, it, it wasn't just at that moment. It took some time later. But what happened was when she, when she was interrupting my solemn worship, I, I was irritated. I was like, why do we have to talk about that now? I didn't say this, but like, can't you see? I'm in worship right now. Uh, there was this irritability because I was, like, I was drawing on this sense of, of glory from a message that probably was, if I listened to it now, I'd be like, oh, boy, I can't believe it. 
can't believe I gave that one. Um, and it was actually later on through a friend as I was talking about this temptation, a pastor friend of mine who I'm accountable to and was just talking about this. And he, he said to me, isn't it good for God to allow that to happen, to, to interrupt you, to, to realize that you're to rejoice that your name's written in the, in the book of life instead of what you do? And, I, and that helped me recognize, you know, I'm living for for the praise of men. I'm living for the, the just even the drawing things from stuff I do rather than from him. So I face this temptation. Um, and I think we all do at times. We, we, we live for the praise of men. We build our lives around the praise of men. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, it's a, not, there's nothing wrong with the praise of men. There's something wrong with building our lives on it. There's nothing wrong with that, that encouragement. That's important and helpful. But it's when we build our lives on this. So Jesus is addressing that. He's addressing He's addressing us in living for the praise of men, doing our spiritual deeds, doing our acts of righteousness, practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And it's interesting what he says here. He says in this warning, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then... You will have no rewards from your Father who is in heaven. That's a serious warning. If you do what you do, if you preach, if you give, if you pray, if you reach out to others to be seen by men, to be praised by them, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's a stern, severe warning. Now, he doesn't give it because he's trying to be mean. He's giving it because he loves us. And he wants us to have a reward. He wants us to avoid the situation where we live, where we live in such a way that we end up with no reward. Now, this reward, we're going to talk about this reward, I believe, is, is referring to both the ultimate reward that comes on the final day when we go before the Lord and, and in His wisdom and His justice, His goodness, He will evaluate our lives and reward us accordingly, but also temporarily as well. I believe there's a temporary aspect to our reward as well, that if we, if we live for the praise of men, we will miss both the temporary, the, the reward now, and the reward to come. The final day will reveal it all, and, and temporarily as well. We will miss the blessing that God has for us. And I'm going to talk about that reward some more in a little bit. So this is a warning, a severe warning for us not to miss this reward. And and God forbid, God forbid that we not only miss the temporary reward that He has, but we miss that final reward. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if we find at the end of it all, we stand before the Lord and He uncovers our lives, And we see with him, you know what? It's always been about what others think of me. It's always been about the praise of men. All those things I did, all that devotion in church, truly was it about me? Oh, Lord, we don't want to find that at the end. We don't want to find that at the end, that it really was about the praise of men and and the reward that might come from the praise of men. And find we have no reward from the Lord. The Lord wants to reward us. He wants us to walk in His ways. And so He gives us this warning that we might avoid the tragedy 
of living and finding no reward at the end. So Jesus gives us this teaching. He goes on in verse 2 and tells us how to live. He, first, he talks about the reward of the hypocrite, the, re- the reward of the one who, who lives for the praise of men. It's an, really almost a comical scene. It says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. We have, we have Jesus saying that when the hypocrites give, there's a sounding of a trumpet, and, and, and they're giving in the synagogues and in the streets. They're, they're giving publicly. There's, there's a sounding of a trumpet. Now, it's not clear what's going on. I, I don't know. It's not clear, and the commentators aren't clear either, on whether Jesus is using hyperbole, in other words, intentional exaggeration, to paint a ridiculous scene. Can you imagine somebody blowing trumpets and telling everybody I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give to the poor right now. Everybody listen in the synagogue or the street. It's not clear whether he's doing that uh, hyperbole, uh, hyperbolically, you know, to, to exaggerate. Or it may have been that, that it, he was mean in that day when they had public fasts. They would have times where they would declare a public fast for the whole city of Jerusalem, or the God's people, and they would blow trumpets. And it was at that time that they'd call people to fast and and it also called people to give to the poor as part of their devotion. And it may have been that what went on is when those trumpets were blown, a lot of the hypocrites, perhaps probably speaking of the Pharisees, would make a big show of what part they were doing to help out in this fast. That, okay, the trumpets are blown. Here's my contribution. Everybody, I'm giving right now to the poor. Look at how spiritual I am. How about you? That's, that's perhaps what Jesus meant. Either way, it's... It's comical. It's ridiculous. Maybe think of a modern equivalent today, maybe at King of Grace. Say we uh, say it's a Sunday and we've announced uh, we have a collection for our loaves and fishes ministry or pregnancy care center or Haiti or something like that, and we pass the basket and somebody comes up to the microphone and says, uh, hey, Ben, could you guys play a little bit of background music right now? Um, everybody, I just want to let you know that, that on behalf of me and my whole family, we would like to pre- present a check to King of Grace Church for $1,000 for this fund. That's three zeros, folks. One, zero, zero, zero. And I just, I just wanted to announce this because I thought it would just encourage you guys to, to know that God is answering our prayers through our gift of $1,000. It'd be ridiculous. Very ridiculous. And that's the sort of thing Jesus is painting a picture of. The hypocrite really is on the stage. Actually, the word hypocrite uh, comes from the word for an actor. In those days, an actor would wear a mask to portray the character, and it's related to that. Uh, The word is related to wearing a mask. Uh, to portray a character, to act in front of others. And Jesus is speaking of the person who acts out their spirituality as, as a performer, to get a reaction from others. That this person acts out their spirituality to be seen, to attract attention to themselves. They want everyone to think that they're spiritual. 
And maybe they couch everything in spiritual language when really it's about themselves and drawing attention to themselves so they can feel good about themselves. Now, as I went through this passage and I thought about our church, I don't think we'd ever see something like someone coming up and having the band play. I, I, as I've thought through our church, I can't think of anybody who, who gives in such a way. Thank God. Uh, I know family after family, individual after individual, who gives from a heart of love for God and love for others. You guys give generously and faithfully. So I, I don't see, thank God, hypocrisy in this area. But let us not think, okay, let's just check out. You know, we don't really need this, this section of Scripture because we're safe. Pastor Paul said, you know, it's not happening, so I'm good. Let's start thinking about the Super Bowl right now. Um, no, there's, there's application for us in many areas, as we talked about earlier. So maybe it's not how we give, but maybe it's how we pray. Do we pray to sound spiritual and passionate when there might not be any passion there? Maybe how we worship corporately, looking interested and engaged when we'd really, honestly, rather be at home sleeping. Maybe it's in how we relate to others. We smile and greet others and say we're doing great. We look like somebody from the Lawrence Welk Show, welcoming people. And, hi, my name's Bobby. I'm doing well. When inside, we're lonely and hurting. Those are all the same sort of things that Jesus is talking about. Practicing our spiritual acts to be seen by men, to be, to be praised by men. And not recognizing there's a God who sees what's done in secret. It's all very ridiculous because God sees through it all. And Jesus says something interesting in this passage. He says, if you live this way, not only did he say you will not receive a reward from your Heavenly Father, but something actually that when we think about it should be scary. He says at the end of verse 2, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The ones that act this way, that live this way, they have received their reward. They have received their reward. What does he mean by that? Well, people who live this way are looking for a reward. And they often get it. We live this way because... If we've found out, we've learned that if I do this thing, I can get a reward. In other words, I can get people to give me praise. I know what to do, and often that's what we do. It's, it's really sad because I think we can do it unconsciously. We can, again, slip from this good and pure devotion into this place of looking, trying to look good in front of others. And we can do it unconsciously. We may not even be aware of it. Because I think God has made us social beings, and that's a good thing. We're meant to live in community. We're meant to be interdependent. We're meant to give feedback. We're meant to encourage each other. And, but in all that, I think there's an ability to discern what gets certain reactions from people. And because we know if we behave a certain way, others will affirm us, we often behave that way. Now, that can be good at times, but it can be false at times, and that's what Jesus is getting at. When we behave certain ways in our spiritual acts, are of a certain type to get a reaction. And Jesus says, you know what? If you live that way, you'll get your reward. You'll get people to praise you. And you think, well, why would that be a bad thing? Because that's all you're going to get. All you're going to get is the praise of men. And the praise of men in the long run is not worth much. It's worth something. But it's not worth much. 
And if all we do is to live for the praise of men, that's all we're going to get. Jesus has something much more for us. He has something much more for us than the praise of men. He wants to protect us from being intoxicated by the praise of men. He wants us to find something much better. So he gives a solution in the end here. He talks about the hypocrite, what the hypocrite does and what the hypocrite gets for his or her reward. And then he calls us to something different. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then this key phrase, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That, that key sentence really sums up the whole thing. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. There is a reward that comes from the father who sees in secret. And that is what we're to live for. That is the solution that Jesus gives. We are to give secretly. We are to trust in a God who sees all secrets. And we are to anticipate His reward. We are to give secretly. We are to give in such a way that we're not making a public display. We are to do these spiritual acts, these acts of piety, in such a way that we're not looking to make a public display. And we are to do that knowing there is a God who sees what is done in secret. And He has a reward. We are to anticipate His reward. That's more valuable than the reward that comes from the praise of men. We are to orient ourselves around that reward. So Jesus calls us first to secret giving as a solution for hypocritical giving. We are, He says not to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. Our right hand is giving. Our left hand has no idea. I don't know what the right hand's doing. The right hand's giving. It, there's no, there's, it's, it's, he's using it as an expression, as an illustration to really say you're doing something and it's almost like you don't even know what you're doing. That's how secret it is that you yourself don't know what you're doing. Your right hand is giving and your left hand doesn't know. That your giving is, is so secret that it's almost anonymous to yourself. It's a little bit of an exaggeration to illustrate though, what sort of secrecy we should look for in our giving. Can you think of how that would work its way out? How do you give like that? We're to give almost like we're not conscious of ourselves giving. Almost like we're not thinking about what others might say or think. We're not even conscious beyond the act of giving of what we did. We're almost to have like a short-term memory problem with our giving to the poor, I think is what Jesus is talking about. I I have some short-term memory problems, and some of you who know me well know that I have some short-term memory problems. Um, So when you, often I'll have conversations with somebody, and I'll say, can you email that to me, or can you tell my wife, because she'll remember that. I I forget things. I'm not too, too bad. Well, maybe I am. Let me know if I am, and I, I think I, you know, yeah. I should probably let others evaluate how bad I am with that. <laughs> um, car keys, I think I've mentioned this. I'm, I'm terrible with car keys. I locked myself out just a little while ago in my car. And, uh, and if, I don't, if I don't, when I turn my car off, I've learned some habits that keep me from doing it. Um, 
When I turn the car off, I have to immediately take the keys and put them in my pocket. Because if I don't, once the car is off, I mean, I forget there's anything such as keys. I have no knowledge that there's a thing called keys and I need them. I just turn the car off and then I go do my business. And that's how I lock myself in. If, I'm ever, if I ever don't take them out right away and put them in my pocket, uh, I'll leave them in the ignition or on the seat. And I've done it so many times. I'm actually really good at breaking into cars. If anyone needs, <laughs> anyone needs my help, uh, it comes from much experience. Uh, Mostly my, mostly my own car, and, uh, and I, have so m- I have many memories of locking myself out in, like, dangerous areas of the city late at night having to break in type thing, or, or uh, recently I was all by myself in the woods uh, with my car, and I had to walk down the street to ask a neighbor to borrow a coat hanger. Um, that's another story. But anyhow, I have, sh- I have short-term memory problems. That's the same thing, I think that we're to do with our giving. It's as if we had short-term memory loss. So we have an opportunity to give to the poor. We write the check out. We put it in the basket, and it goes along, and our spouse says, did you write that check? What check? I don't even remember what check. Just totally not having uh, a memory, really, for what we did in a sense of wanting to remember it so we can glory in it. That's the point. We are tempted. We are tempted to glory in our acts of righteousness. And and God is pleased with these things. So it isn't that we're not to have any thought, but we're not to find our life in that and what others will think about us. We're to forget about it. And it's interesting, Jesus says that the reason that we do that isn't just because we have short-term memory. It isn't why we forget about it. It's because we are anticipating the reward that comes from the one who sees what is done in secret. So when we give it, we release it. And we know God sees. He knows. And he's going to bring a reward. There's a reward in this. So I don't need to, I don't need to be thinking about it and looking for the praise of men. Our God sees all. He's a God who sees what is done in secret. And this is like a whole other message. God sees all. God knows all. He sees everything that goes on. Nothing escapes his gaze. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Everybody and all their actions are seen by God. He sees everything. He knows everything. And that's good news and bad news. It's good news for those who are looking to him, who are desperate for him, He sees the the lonely person making that prayer by themselves in their room. Lord, help me. I need help. Life's a mess. He sees that person. The one who would cry out. Throughout Scripture, we see again and again him answering those. Hagar in the the desert with her young son. God sees her and hears her prayer and answers her. Hannah devoting her son Samuel to the Lord. God hears and honors and and uses this young man for his purposes. God sees all. Nothing escapes his gaze. He knows and sees all things. So it's good news for those who would come to him. It's bad news for those who would ignore him. Because nothing you think or do escapes his sight. He sees all. And he's good. And that's a good thing if you turn to him and a scary thing if you don't. Because in his goodness, he, he evaluates everything that he sees. And we think, sadly, we think that we can live our lives 
without accountability to God. And we do our stuff and we think our thoughts and we pursue these different courses in our life thinking that somehow we're anonymous. We're not. God sees all. He sees everything. Every intention. Every action. We cannot hide from Him. So if we're running from Him, that should be a scary thought. But there's good news. Because He's good. And He's always been good. And He's blessed our lives. And He's poured out blessing on us again and again and again. And if we're running from Him, even though we're running, He still has been good to you. And even more than the blessings that He has given, food and clothing, shelter, family, these different things, He's given His own Son for rebels that would run from Him. He sent His Son. His Son died for the sins of His people. Shed His blood for rebels. Rose again to bring in new life for rebels. And if you would turn from your own life, from your self-sufficiency, doing life your own way, or your open rebellion, there's forgiveness. There's life. And He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. He doesn't want you to do that anymore. So His invitation is to come, to trust, to know, to be forgiven, to enjoy. It's a good invitation. It will be extended as long as you breathe in our life. But if you run your whole life, you'll have to answer for that on that day. He sees all. He sees everything. He sees us as we give to the poor. We may forget what we gave in the offering basket for Him. We may forget what ministry we contributed to, what we did for ministry to the poor. We may forget, but He will not forget. No one else might know that we spent that last bit of our extra savings to write a check for Haiti or for a food pantry or whatever it might be. No one may know, but God knows. And He knows exactly what that meant, even more than you know. And He will reward those who give in such a way. He promises to reward. This is fundamental to who God is. Hebrews chapter 11 says, if anyone would come to Him, he must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Hebrews, in, in defining what faith is, says that this aspect of trusting in God's reward is fundamental to, to knowing Him. You must believe that He exists, that He is, that He is over all things. He is the one who's created all, sustains all. You must believe that He is the ultimate being and that He rewards those, that He's good, that He gives blessing. He rewards those who seek Him. He's not apathetic. He's not evil. He's good. He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. He's a rewarder of those who give in secret. He's a rewarder. He's faithful. He cannot be anything but a rewarder. And this is a promise we can bank on, our very lives on. He will reward. He will reward. There's an eternal reward, and I believe there's a temporal reward that comes from the Lord. Much of the, much of the New Testament, much of the Bible is full of this incentive to serve the Lord. And, and sometimes people object and think, 
But if it's about reward, it's about, if it's about me getting something, if that's why I do it, then is, is, that's selfish, isn't it? Is, is that any different than anyone else? Is that any different than the person who looks for the praise of men? I'm just looking for some reward from God versus from people. What's the difference? Well, God's reward is not like the hypocrite's reward. It is not like that sort of reward. It is not a, 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 a quid pro quo type, you do this and I'll give you this much money. It's much better. Let me try to illustrate. Let me try to illustrate how living for a reward is a good thing. The reward that God speaks of is primarily around knowing and enjoying Him. Now, there are aspects that are material. God is, we're material beings. He loves to bless us. Those things are there and can be there in heaven. We'll have those things. But at the core of it is, is, is a reward that's a relational reward. Let me illustrate. Say you have a son or a daughter, and you love your son or daughter. And uh, you just enjoy them. You want to see them doing well. And you work a job. You make money. And you invest in your son or daughter by sending them to college or trade school. Why? Are you looking to get them into a good job so that they can take care of your retirement? Is it a, a you know this for that type thing? I'm gonna get, I'm gonna pay for college, but buddy, you owe me. You better cover my retirement. No, we don't do that if we love them. Why do we do that? Why do we invest in them? We are anticipating a reward, aren't we? But it's not necessarily financial. If you are, that's a risk a, a risky investment. But but we do it because we love them. We want to see the reward of them doing well in a good career and blessing others and being happy in life in the Lord. That's why we do it. But is that not a reward? Sorry for maxing out this mic over and over. Is that not a reward? It is. It's a reward that finds a vicarious joy in their happiness. We are happy because they are happy. And so we will invest ourselves in our son or daughter for that purpose. So it is a reward, isn't it? And self is involved in it, isn't it? But it's, it's changed, it's transformed by love. And now we have a vicarious joy in them and their happiness. That's the heart of the reward the Lord's speaking of. Now, if you don't believe me, take some time to review Scripture and look at the reward of God's people throughout the Bible. And you'll see that it's the same thing. It's the reward of the joy of being with the Lord and knowing I I live my life for Him. It's an enhancement that comes from when we invest ourselves in Him and we see the blessing that flows through that to His glory, to the blessing of others. That's the reward. Paul anticipated the reward that would come of people's lives being affected by His sacrifices. It was a vicarious joy. Jesus Himself for the joy set before him endured the cross. For a reward went through this. What was his reward? To see the Father's purposes accomplished. To see his precious people purchased. A vicarious joy in these things that is better than anything else. We all know the best thing, humanly speaking, we can experience is love. When you delight in someone else and they delight in you and you share joy and you love to see their good, how much more our joy in the Lord when we give in secret because our eyes 
are on Him. And we know He seats. And we know He rewards. And we know that the final outcome of that will be a greater joy in heaven with Him. As He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. You gave, and I saw it all. And I loved it, and I enjoyed it, and I used it. Let me tell you how I used that money. This person over here was was clothed and fed. This person over here was ready to give up on my goodness. Had, had even said the day before, God, how can you exist? And how can you be good when I have this need and it's not been met? And your gift allowed me to, to visit them and, and make them realize that I am good. Through that provision, that's how I used it. I used it for this one to, to be encouraged and to find friendship in the ministry. Over and over again, he sees it. And our reward is enhanced. Knowing, Lord, I got to do that? That's what that little bit of money meant? And even if it isn't a grand thing to know the Lord accepts our sacrifice and says, it pleased me. I know you didn't have much. But oh, oh, how it pleased me. And how glad I'm here with you now. And that eternal reward will be eternal and full and full of joy. And it's to be temporal too. Now, it comes in ebbs and flows now, but to know that as we give now, God sees and delights in us is a reward. If we want our life enhanced, our walk with God enhanced, learn to give in secret, learn to serve in secret with our eyes on the one who sees in secret and rewards us. If the band could come up as we close. Jesus invites us to this sort of living and giving. He invites us to to live and to give and to perform our spiritual acts with our eyes on Him, anticipating our reward, knowing the one that sees in secret, and living for His approval above all others. The praise of men can be helpful, can be encouraging, but it mustn't be our reward. Our reward must be the Father, the Father's pleasure, the Father's purposes in and through what we do, knowing that He sees and He will reward us. C.S. Lewis, in his excellent essay on rewards entitled The Way of Glory, says the following. We have this to put up. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The Lord invites us, instead of living for the paltry reward of the passing praise of men, to set our sights on that deep and eternal reward of joy in the Lord that He gives to all who give to the needy and perform other acts in secret with their eyes on the One who sees all secrets. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for who You are. You are good. You are all-seeing. And we don't need to build our lives around the praise of men. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement you would bring through the praise of men and the affirmation that we need at times. 
But Lord, there's something much more substantial, glorious, lasting to live for. Thank you that you would care so much about us. Lord, we are so small. I am really nothing before you. Yet in your great mercy, you delight. And you delight in us as we stumble through these acts of worship to you. You receive them. You reward them. We thank you for that. Lead us in living this way, Lord Jesus. According to your word, we pray. In Christ's name.